Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Good morning out there, all you short-term shoppers. It's Avery Carl, and I wanted to give you guys a quick reminder about something that I don't think I've done a good enough job of keeping you aware of. So I get a lot of emails from y'all every week, and I love getting emails from you, by the way. I love talking to our listeners, and a lot of them are asking for real estate agent recommendations in different markets, and what I don't think I've done a good job of is making sure that you guys are aware that the short-term show is actually a subsidiary of the short-term shop which is the largest short-term rental specific real estate team brokered by EXP. I have to say that or I get in trouble in the country. So we have offices in 12 of the top short-term rental markets in the country, and we are here to help you purchase your first, second, third, or 10th short-term rental. And if you buy with us in any of those markets, we have a whole back-end training program where we will teach you everything you need to know about managing your short-term rental remotely. Everything from setting up your Airbnb and VRBO listings to teaching you how to use all the property management software that you'll need, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners and handymen. And we have some awesome Facebook support communities that we want you guys to be a part of where we all share ideas and information about managing our short-term rental, which short-term rentals, which markets are the best, uh, what we're doing next, and all of that really fun stuff. So if you want to be a part of the short-term shop community, if you want to buy a house with us, we really want to help you guys. So head on over to theshorttermshop.com and click schedule a consultation. We'll see you there. If you invest in real estate or manage properties, you need banking that's truly built for your business. Many traditional banks make it difficult to sync banking information across many of the personal finance platforms that we as real estate investors use every day. This is why I recommend Relay. Relay is an online banking and money management platform that's a perfect fit for any real estate business. First, there are no account fees, no overdraft fees, and no minimum balances, which means you get to keep more money in your pocket. Relay also goes above and beyond the banking basics to help you understand precisely what you're earning, spending, and saving. You get up to 20 checking accounts to organize and allocate income for things like day-to-day -day expenses, investments, or taxes. And if you have multiple investment properties set up as separate business entities, that's no problem. Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access everything from one single login. Best of all, Relay makes your bookkeeping speedy and meticulous by giving you ultra-detailed transaction data and directly syncing it back to QuickBooks Online and Zero. The ability to have so many separate bank accounts and allocation options in my user dashboard has really transformed my personal banking experience. I will never go back. It takes 10 minutes to apply for a Relay account, and you can do it online at RelayFi.com slash the short term shop. So again, for more information and to open an account, go to RelayFi.com slash the short term shop. Hey guys, welcome back to the short term show. I have another youngin on here for you guys today. So uh, I really have been wanting to get this guy on here for a while because he started investing very young and he had a very unconventional profession. And I think it's really important 
for people to understand that just because you don't have a regular traditional W-2 nine to five does not mean that you can't get into real estate investing. And just because you're young also does not mean that you can't get into real estate investing. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Brandon Robert. Hey, Brandon, how's it going? It's doing great. How are you? I am doing awesome. So start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am a social media influencer with 11 million followers, um, mainly on TikTok. And I also invest in real estate. I have three rental properties that I short-term rent, um, thanks to you helping me with my first one, which was awesome. Um, and yeah. Okay, let's start at the beginning because I remember, and I sound like a total like grandma right now, because I remember you when you first came to us, and we were getting you your financing set up. And I asked you what you did for a living. And you said, uh, I'm, I'm TikTok famous. And I thought, okay. So I went to the lender and I said, can this guy do this? And she said, yeah, yeah, he can. So I think that a lot of people will have that reaction when people say things like, oh, I'm TikTok famous or I'm an influencer for a living. But it's, it's a legitimate job now. So let's dig into that first. Uh, you don't have a traditional nine to five. You're you're making your money on social media. How did that start? Yeah, so I was in, I, I never did well in school. So um, college was really kind of like not an option for me. I was just, it wasn't for me. And I was always into media, but it seemed like doing like television and stuff wasn't really as profitable as I wanted it to be. So I was like, all right, the social media thing's seems like it's happening and it's the new thing it was in 2016 i was around like i think i was like 16 when this was happening and um i was like you know what let's give it a shot i see people are making money on this i feel like if they could do it i could do it so i kind of just started posting videos and uh slowly started gaining followers and uh the more followers you have obviously the more profitable you come to become to brands and stuff um so I just started, it kind of just snowballed after that. You know, I started making little videos and then it just became like Netflix hitting me up and saying, hey, like we want you to promote our new show coming up or uh, song artists like Justin Bieber. I actually did a uh, promo for him. So it was like kind of all at once. And I just kept on rolling with it because the money was there. Um, and that's actually why I got into short-term rental as well, because this type of influencer thing isn't like a well-known or it, it hasn't been here for a while. So I wanted something more stable. And that's why I tried jumping on the real estate boat as soon as I got the money to do it. So when you're 16 and you say, okay, I think I want to make some money on social media, is there any strategy to that? Or did you just start like filming yourself doing stuff and decide, okay, well, people seem to be get engaging in this type of video. So I'm going to make more of these. How did you figure that out? Yeah. So uh, in the beginning, it really wasn't as much strategy. It was kind of just new for me. I was kind of just posting, you know, I had the fluffy hair and that was kind of like what, <laughs> what was happening then. It was like kind of like a little heart throbby type of thing. So I was like, you know what, like people like this stuff. They like hearing me talk, which is weird. So I was like, if I can make money doing that, why not? Um, and yeah, I guess it just panned out that way. But now it's definitely more that I've gotten serious with it. It's definitely more strategical, um, what I've been doing, um, trying to get more views and stuff. So it, it's definitely, it started 
from a place where I was just like, hey, like this is cool and fun to a place where like, oh, okay, I, I know how to make this work and make good money from it. So when you are making money from social media, because I think a lot of people have this question, how does one make money from social media? So if you've got 11 million followers, which to me sounds like a gigantic panic attack, I would have a panic attack every time I hit that publish button. I'd be like, oh my God, they're going to hate me. Oh my God, they're going to say I'm fat or, you know, whatever it is. So what it, I, okay. Answer that question first and then we'll go. <laughs> how, how, do, how does one make money by having a lot of followers? Are you so selling something or how's that work? There's a lot of different ways and I, it almost changes every month how I'm making money. Um, so there's one way that's the classic, it's just views. Like a lot of uh, like TikTok will pay you for views or YouTube. Um, a lot of different companies will. Um, so that's, that's like passive small income I'm posting anyway, and they're giving you money. Um, so I'm making anywhere from like three to $10,000 just off views like a month. Um, and then I have the bigger brand deals. Um, so those are definitely the bigger things, the bigger you know, lump sums that you're getting uh, from brand deals uh, like Netflix and stuff. So those are also another thing. I also do this thing called ad acting, which is kind of a new thing for me where I um, kind of construct ads for companies as well. Um, and I kind of have the face value on TikTok because I have so many followers. So I'll like make an ad and then they just post it on their own. So that's also another source of income. There's like a lot of different, I, I live stream that also is another source of income. So there's a lot of different routes you can take. Um, there's, I know a lot of people are doing like, uh, they have courses. So that that's also another stream of income that I haven't yet tapped into, but I'm looking into doing that as well. Um, but there's just so many options and I've, I have at least like three or four of them down. Okay. So it's basically just, I'm going to just dumb this down really hard right here. So it's basically kind of like brand partnerships, kind of yeah. ad product placement type deals. Gotcha. Okay. So that's how you make money in social media guys. Yep. Um, all right. So about what age were you when you started making real enough money to say, okay, now I have to do something with this because this you know, this might not be around every day. I might not be able to be TikTok famous until I'm 50. I need to find something else to do. At what age did you realize that? Because you're still a very young guy. So to me, that's really impressive that at that age, you you started thinking about that because most people in high school would just go blow that money you yeah. know, on a brand new car or something. Yeah. So I was around like 18, 19 when I, I think I earned up to, I had like $250,000 in the bank. And I was like, okay, this was kind of the brink of like, do I go to college and do this stuff? Or do I really just like try to make it on my own type of thing? Um, and I, at that age, I was like, you know what? I have this money that not a lot of people my age have. Let's do something with it. There's definitely a way. So I, I started researching. I like looked up everything I possibly could. Like, how can I extend this money for a longer period of time or invest in something. I didn't want to just put it in stocks because I wanted something more passive and well, not more passive, more that I can like do stuff, you know, like a job almost, but not too much work because I like to travel and stuff. Um, so yeah, that was definitely around the age was 19. And I was like, all right, we gotta, we gotta make some moves or we gotta book it back to school. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was definitely the the book it back to school avenue myself. <laughs> so I just I, I saw a post recently, which is kind of why I wanted to have you on, where a real estate investor was posted, made a post on a Facebook group implying that people who have unconventional forms of income and really, really young people somehow like did not deserve to be able to invest in real estate. And that just really hit me bad, be, badly because anyone, I, I feel like real estate investing is an avenue for anyone to be able to build wealth for themselves. And it doesn't really matter how they got there. No one is less deserving than anyone else of being able to do this. So that's why I really wanted to get you to get you on here because you are, yes, you're TikTok famous and that may or may not be something that a lot of people understand, but, and you are also really young. How, so how old were you when you bought your first short-term rental? I think I was just turning 20. So I think I was 19 at the time. Okay. 19 years old. And you're now how old? 24. 24. And you've been able to, you, you had the, the self-awareness in high school to say, okay, I need to do something with this money more traditional because right now the social media thing is going really well. I want to make hay while the sun shines, but I need to find a more stable asset to put this into. And then you landed on real estate investing. So talk to me about how you came across real estate investing and why you chose short-term rentals instead of multi or long-term single family. So I originally was actually looking at doing like a long-term rental type of thing near me um, because I I honestly haven't heard of like people investing in different states and different places um, outside of a driving distance. So um, I was kind of just doing my research and like I, I live in New York, so it's harder to come buy deals here. It just is. I mean, obviously deals can be found anywhere, but at my age with, you know, the taxes that are here and stuff, it, it wasn't really a possibility for me. So I had to look outside of my reach, essentially, somewhere that like I'd have to fly to. Um, and I mean, when I came across like Tennessee, I was like, oh, like this is like a, a good spot. You know, it's not close to me, but like I, I never thought of really going out of state but upon my research and finding you um you taught me that like you don't need to be there to you know run the property you can kind of run it from wherever you are and that's kind of the outlook i was like okay so i have this opportunity to invest my money in different places i don't need to do it somewhere local um and that kind of really pushed me i was like that opened up my eyes i was like i can kind of go anywhere with this you know i can if i find a place you know that I like to travel to or other has a big tourism industry, I can make it work. And that's really smart that you realize that very young too, because we can't always, like we don't always live in the best or most efficient place for us to invest. So living, you're out right outside New York City, right? Like in Long Island. So that's difficult. That's expensive. It's an expensive market. The taxes are high. So it's, I think that was a really smart decision to, decision to say like, okay, well, I can't really do this around here, but where can I do it? Rather than saying, oh, I can't really do this around here. I guess I won't do it. So uh, I think that was really smart and adaptable of you as well. So let's talk about your properties because these are very interesting as well, or one of them is particularly interesting. So you somehow found a way to marry your social media influencing with 
real estate investing by buying a very interesting property. So why don't you tell our listeners what you bought? Yeah, so I bought a castle, which is, I, I, it sounds weird saying like saying it when people ask me like, oh, you own a house? Like, what does it look like? I'm like, well, it's a castle. Um, but yeah, it's it's a castle. It looks like just like a castle. <laughs> yeah, it's a legit castle. <laughs> I had never seen anything like it until that hit the market. So uh, it's a three bedroom, right? Three bedroom. Three bedroom. And how much did you pay for that? It was eight hundred thousand, and I put two hundred thousand down. And how much is that making for you? That's making me, a, I think, around gross, I would say $230,000 a year. And then I take home around 45 to 50% of that as net. 800 and some change. Was it 800 even or 800 and some change? Yeah, no, it was 800 even. Okay, so 800-ish grossing 200 and thirty thousand a year, so you're netting like a hundred and fifteen thousand a year. Yeah, probably actually a little more than that. I'm, I would say I'm netting. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's like I haven't even had to pay any of the mortgage on my own pockets, which is really cool too. It's paying for itself and making me really good money. So yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. That is a really really amazing cash on cash return because you bought a very very unique property. So do you get just mostly? regular travelers on vacation or do you get a lot of special events um it's kind of a mix of both um i do have a lot of weddings that go on there which is really cool because it's definitely like a, a wedding place it's a castle everyone's like i i really want to get married here can we film like sure yeah uh you can fit a decent amount of people in it although it's a three bedroom it's a huge huge space and it's a really great entertaining space it's like super open concept you, you as you know but um it is it's an awesome space and i think it's usually split between like events bachelor parties bachelorette parties as well um and then also like weddings and just families coming to explore the smokies and stay in a castle so since you get a lot of events, let's hit on that for a minute. I know a lot of people are afraid to buy larger properties or they're really afraid of people having parties. They they do whatever they can to keep the bachelor and the bachelorette and the weddings out. Even if, you know, they're perfectly well-behaved people coming in, a lot of people just want to avoid that altogether. But you're really embracing that and like hitting the gas on that. Do you have any advice on, you know, how to screen those types of guests and events or ways to kind of safeguard against damage to your property from big events? Yeah, so I typically, I mean, I, I have a good like insurance plan as well. I mean, Airbnb also covers a lot of things, but I kind of, I, I ask them a lot of questions prior, like, like how many people are going to be there? It's just a lot of questions I have to ask them. I don't want to just be like, yeah, you want to have a wedding? Cool. Like that. It's, it's kind of just like picking their brain. Like, what do you want? And like trying to figure out if this space is for them and if, you know, they're, you can kind of tell when you talk to someone if they're going to mess up your space um, or not. Uh, but I like I have no problem doing it. And I see it also as kind of a money maker as well, because I do charge an event fee, which is kind of an interesting thing as well. I'll, I'll usually do per head um, of how many people are there and I'll charge on top of that. So I see it as, yes, there might be some small damages that happen, but it kind of pays off if I, you know. <laughs> if something small breaks or whatever or because there's always something that goes wrong usually like something small will rip or break um but the extra money that i do make kind of pays off for it 
how much are you charging for an event fee? Like, do you, you charge it per person or by the size of event or how does that work? So I usually do it per person past the 16 people that can stay at the property. So I'll say, Hey, like 16 people are allowed on this property as a normal rental experience. But if you do plan on hosting a party or whatever, I need to know how many heads you're going to have. And I do charge, uh, it depends on really the event. Um, honestly, usually weddings, I'll do like $15 per head. I can fit up to 75 people on the property. So it definitely does add up. Um, especially cause usually I have anywhere from 30 to like 60 people come. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Usually with the like, let's say like bachelor parties or whatever, and there's like a lot of just like young kids going. I typically try to stay away from that um, unless they are like an older group of people. But I, I do usually charge a little bit more for that as well, um, just because of the damages that will probably. <laughs> um, but I've been pretty good so far. <laughs> Well, that's good news that you've done pretty well so far. So you talk about you can fit 75 people on the property. If you, if somebody's buying a space like this that might be able to be used for events, how does one figure out, oh, how, how many people can I fit on this property comfortably or how many is too much? Is it a fire hazard? That kind of thing. Yeah. So actually when I bought the property, I think it was just passed down like the like event space. I don't I'm not even entirely sure i was just told 75 people can occupy the property at one time um so i kind of just rolled with that from what the last uh owner said oh well that makes it yeah, easy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I kind of like i agreed with it it's a good space for that and um i think it, it i think i don't really like having up to 75 usually below that like 50 is like a good amount um but yeah okay and have you ever thought, because I've, I've had a few, I've talked to a few investors over the, the past, I don't know, the course of my career who've wanted to focus on, they've said, I really want to buy a place that I could use as a wedding venue or things like that. And they kind of want to go down the road almost of becoming like starting an event planning business alongside their short-term rental because it has, you know, basically a venue. So is that something that you've considered? Oh, highly. Um, and the reason why I consider it even more now is because I actually bought the property directly next door. Um, so that just sleeps uh, like it has an, it's another three bedroom, but it's a big space as well. So um, I was definitely considering and still am considering making kind of like a combined listing um, where people can just rent that space. And it's, it's just an extended space. Essentially, it's literally directly next door, like five feet away. So um, you can really just get a lot of money for that then because it's, it's a big space, two big spaces and a castle, like a castle. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and a castle. Yeah. So do you have, I guess, so you're not, you're not in that world yet of doing the full on event planning, yeah. but do you have any partnerships or anything like that with local vendors, like, you know, table and chair rental, decoration rental, wedding yeah. cake, people, things like that. Um, I have a, like a decorator. Um, so that's, the furthest I've gone with it so far, but I actually use her quite often to decorate. Like the, I usually have someone ask me like, Hey, bachelorette party or 21st birthday or whatever it is. And I'll be like, okay, I have an option for you. I have this person that usually comes by. Here's some of her work. And um, usually the, I, it works out really well. She does a great job and usually they do accept her to do it. So it's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. 
Okay, so we're going to step away from the event planning and the castle for a second. You do own two other short-term rentals. So you mentioned you own the cabin. next. It's a cabin, right, next door to your castle? And you typically rent those two separate, right? You haven't done the full-on event thing with the um, I've done it once, um, but I, I plan on eventually just making combined listening and doing both. Okay. And how much did you pay for the one next door, and what does that gross for you? Yeah, so I paid... 565,000 and then I put 15% down um which was around don't correct my math <laughs> I want to say around 80,000 um that I put into it um maybe a little less and that that house really has it makes me around I want to say 150,000 gross my goodness um, yeah, so I paid off that house like cash on cash after one year, almost one year, like a year and a few months. So that was that was pretty awesome. <laughs> I got a really good price for yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it is pretty <laughs> awesome. How big is that one? How many people does it sleep? It's around 2,700 square feet. This one only sleeps eight people, um, which seems like a, a, a good sweet spot for the area, actually, because it is always booked. And I do put it at a pretty high price. Um the previous owners were only getting around like 160 average per night and I'm getting around 275 average per night. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely paid off a lot. Actually, that was, it was a, a, a good investment on my part. Yeah, yeah you got two really good ones. So two three bedrooms, one for 800,000 that grosses 230 and one for five and some change that grosses 150. And yeah. then you net about half of your yeah. gross on each of those. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's pretty good. Pretty yeah. darn good. That's some really good first two investments, especially yeah. at, at the age that you were when you bought those. Mm -hmm. uh, very impressive. Very impressed. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's important too to note that it's, not necessarily the property itself. In the case of the castle, it is the property itself. But the one next door, it's just a regular old cabin, right? It's, so it's not really the property itself that determines the how well it performs. It does obviously have some bearing on it, but the way you manage it and who is managing it has, you know, plays a huge part in how well it's going to perform. You can't just slap something up and, you know, wait for it to to get booked, you, you have to manage it. You have to work on it. And I think that this is a good example of that. A hundred percent. And I also, when I first bought the property, it doesn't have a hot tub, this property either, which I was like, oh, this needs to have a hot tub. It needs to have this. And, um, and the property still does amazing. I never bought a hot tub for it. I was like, like, I won't get any rentals if I don't do it. Cause I, I just, I don't I have this like vision of like, you know, a cabin that like in the Smoky Mountains, it needs like certain things. Um, I didn't go too crazy on it. Cause I was like, you know what? Like, let's see how it does with great professional photos. I mean, it looks great. Um, but, you know, nothing too crazy and lower maintenance and it, 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 it pays off. So. Oh, wow. So you've done that without a hot tub. See, that's. Yeah. I any client that ever asks me, do I need a hot tub in the Smokies? I'm like, yes, you have to buy a hot tub. You have to have that. And so you've done 150 on a three bedroom without. Yeah. A hot tub. Is there anything specific management wise that you're doing with that one that you think is making the difference there? Like what are, what platforms are you using? I'm just I which is also a crazier thing is I'm just using Airbnb. I, I'm, what? <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I've learned to 
so with my social media job, I'm really good at algorithms and understanding algorithms. And I kind of took a lot of time to understand Airbnb's algorithm with getting clicks and views and just having your listing kind of show up first. Um, so I kind of manipulated the algorithm in a way just with photos and just how I listed my property. Um, this is an example for the castle, but my, my castle, the castle was um, Forbes. It was on like a news article for Forbes. So in the title is Forbes featured castle in the Smokies. It's just kind of like that. People press on it. People press on my profile and it kind of just boosts me in the rankings. Also being a super host does help as well. Okay. So you're not using any property management software. You're not using any dynamic pricing tools. I am using a dynamic pricing tool. Um, okay. And I am using like Guesty for hosts. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Guesty. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. But besides that, I'm not using anything to artificially pump or just, yeah. Okay. So Guesty for hosts and Price Labs. Yep. Yes. Okay. Cool. And let's talk about your third property. That one's in a different market. Which market is that in? So that's all the way out west. Um, It is in St. George, Utah. Uh, right by Zion National Park. And I actually purchased this property as a vacation home for myself. Um, that was also something that could be rented. Um, and it this property, if you've ever been to that area, it's very, it's being developed very fast. And I kind of saw like, hey, a lot of people are flocking here. Um, maybe if I just buy this property for myself to enjoy, um, in the long run, this thing will appreciate like crazy because this area is really like the population is booming. I was actually, I think Utah was the highest appreciating for properties in 2021. So I was like, I, I feel like I definitely need to get my hands on it. And also maybe I'll, I'll make some money. I wasn't too certain that I was going to, um, but I am, I made, it's actually just came up on my one year owning it. I've made around $20,000 on a property that I didn't think I'd make anything. So, um, yeah, it's worked out pretty well. It's a really cool place. Zion National Park is an awesome place as well that blew up on social media uh, recently. And that's why a lot of people are flocking there. Okay, so you bought a third property that you really bought just kind of to be a toy for yourself. (laughs) And you're making twenty thousand a year off of it, like, and that's net in your pocket, right? Yes, that's net. That's net in my pocket after all expenses and mortgages paid, um, and the property appreciated hundred thousand dollars since I owned it. So, um, I mean, I I couldn't ask for anything better than that. <laughs> now I get to go to it too whenever I want um, because I'm always out west anyway. So, it I'm saving money too just owning it because I I do travel out there a lot and it's in the epicenter of all these different states like Colorado, Arizona, um, Nevada, you're by California. So it's it's a good, it's a really cool spot. That's awesome. Well, let's go back to your two like super performers. (laughs) Do you think that, so do you advertise those using your social media presence a lot? Like are you getting a lot of bookings through your own social media or is it really just like you have them on the listing platforms and that's it. So I, I don't even know if this is a hundred percent true. Um, but I tend to avoid putting my links on any social media platforms because 
And I honestly, this isn't a verified fact. I just kind of have it in my head that this is the way the algorithm on Airbnb works is when people press on your link and there's just a lot of clicks on your link, but no bookings, it's kind of showing Airbnb, hey, people are looking at it, but don't want to book it. So we're going to put your rankings lower. We're going to put you lower on the list. So I don't like, yeah, so I don't like putting my listing on anything because I just don't want a bunch of clicks with no bookings. It's just, it just shows even in the conversion on Airbnb that you can see it's like clicking or uh, booking conversions. Um, it definitely messes with that and they track that. So it's something that I kind of avoid. I'll talk about it, but I usually will not post any links on social media, which is interesting for a social media influencer. But hey, if it's doing well without it, then like I don't feel the need to post it. No, I think that actually just shows a real mastery of your craft because I think basically anyone would think, oh, I have this huge social media presence. Let me post all of my properties to try and get more bookings. But that actually hurts if everybody's clicking on your properties. You're getting all these clicks because they just want to see what your house looks like and they have no intention of booking it. That's that's really smart. Yeah, that's and that's kind of how I was able. To, I think that's why my properties are doing so well as well, because I I have this back knowledge of social media and how an algorithm does work. That is my job is to see what's going to get the most clicks. Um, so I kind of put that in my head, like, okay, like just work around that, like work around the algorithm and you'll do fine. You know? So that, that, that is really smart, man. So <laughs> what's next for you then? Are you, thinking of, are you going to invest in more properties? You want to build that portfolio to a certain amount or, or mix? What are you thinking is next? Yeah. So I'm, I'm literally always on a constant, like hunt, like <laughs> all day, every day I'm scrolling through every real state app. I I've been kind of focused on two specific areas, um, which is something local to me, um, Vermont. It's, it's pretty close. Um, I'm trying to find a property that's, you know, Vermont, you go skiing. That's kind of like the thing, but I'm trying to find a, a dual purpose type of property because people do go there for the summertime. Um, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of properties out there that are, you know, both for ski and for like summer. So it's usually just like ski chalets and no one wants to stay in that in the summertime. But I'm looking there and I'm also looking all the way across to um, Leavenworth, Washington, which is yeah, pretty far from me, <laughs> far as you could possibly get, really, except for Alaska, Hawaii. But um, yeah, I'm looking there as well. It seems to just from looking at analytics online, I go on Mash, Pfizer, AirDNA. Um, from what I've seen, it seems to be doing really well in those areas, um, and I've been highly considering that actually. All right. Well, Brandon, some really, really good nuggets on here. Some things I think that a lot of people have not thought about that'll make them think about things differently in the future. And so we're to the last three questions of the show. The first of which is, and since this wasn't that far in the past, I don't know how you're going to answer it. What <laughs> advice would you give 20-year-old Brandon? Uh, I would definitely tell myself to not be as scared as I was, you know, jumping into buying a property. I mean, buying a property at 20 years, 19 years old is terrifying. But at the end of the day, and this goes to everyone, I, I tell so many people this, I'm just like, if something goes wrong, you can always, at the end of the day, sell it. Maybe you'll lose a little money. Maybe, maybe you'll gain some money, you know, like the worst that could happen is you sell it. 
then that's you're buying a property. You're not just like throwing your money into a car and then, you know, it depreciates and whatever. You're buying a property, it's going to appreciate um historically. So not not be so scared, you know. It, it will work out, you know, <laughs> type of thing. Good advice. And Along those same lines, what advice would you give a new investor who's looking to get started today in 2022? Um, I would say not to be emotional. Um, and that's kind of where the beginning of my journey was because I was very hellbent on Colorado as a spot that I wanted to buy my first property. I loved it. It's my favorite spot it wasn't going to make money. It just, it the, the numbers just didn't really make sense. And that area just doesn't seem to make sense. So I kind of was like, I need to put my emotions away and I need to find a place that's going to make me money if I really want to do this. Uh, maybe like Tennessee. I hadn't stepped a foot in Tennessee before I bought my property. So I kind of like, I historically, this does great. It has a market. It had a market forever, a, a vacation rental market. So like, this is where I'm going to go. Stop looking at all these places that you want to be in. If you really want to make money, go to the places people are flocking. And that was kind of my breakthrough I had. <laughs> That's really great advice. Yeah. And last question, what is your favorite book that has impacted your mindset? Yeah, so this is a interesting one because I honestly do not read very often books. At least I, I, I'm always on like com the computer reading forums and stuff. But um, honestly, from the very beginning, I always like whimsical types of books, you know, like Harry Potter and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that definitely shaped the way I looked at my rental properties. I bought a castle. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I like saw the value in that because I also was like always just like very like I love Harry Potter. I like like I like the whimsical side of things. Um and I think that definitely did impact me later on with what I chose in a property. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you're real estate investing based off of Harry Potter. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> so what house then are you? Oh, what what house is the castle? I would like to say Gryffindor, but I've been told Hufflepuff and I don't know. Yeah. Well, that is definitely a book that no one has said before. So that was very original. Yeah, I, know, I, I know I was. I was thinking about it, but I honestly do think it, it really has impacted me. I was just telling my parents, actually, I was watching a video of a investor that does supernatural visits or supernatural stays, which were kind of like he has a place in the desert where there's no like alien stuff and his whole place is alien themed and he does amazing. And I'm like, that is something that like is awesome. It's really cool. Or he owns a place in Ohio, middle of Ohio, but it's historically a very haunted house. And I was like, that is so cool. That is definitely, yeah. So it's like the whimsical side of me is like, oh, I want to do that. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Brandon, if our listeners want to find you on social media and see what on earth you're doing there to be making enough money to be buying castles, where can they find you? Yeah. So everything is just at the Brandon Robert. At the Brandon Robert. Yep. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Brandon. It's been really, really insightful. Yes, thank you very much. And also helping me start this journey as well. And You're so welcome. Can't thank you enough. <laughs> you are so welcome. <laughs> we'll catch you later, Brandon.